What is population health? Why do some people become sick while others don't? How do we study and what can we do to eliminate health inequities? Sick Individuals, Sick Populations, the new podcast series from the Interdisciplinary Association of Population Health Science covers these topics and much more. Join us. Arisha Martinez-Cardoso from the University of Chicago. Michael Esposito from the University of Michigan. And I'm Daryl Hudson at Washington University in St. Louis. Twice a month as we discuss cutting-edge population health research with scholars working across disciplinary boundaries. Hi y'all, welcome to today's episode of Sick Individuals, Sick Populations from IAPHS. I'm your co-host, Aresha Martinez-Cardoso, and today we are recapping IAPHS's annual conference um, and just giving us a little bit of a preview on the behind the, I'm sorry, not a preview, but a behind the scenes look of how all of it got organized and some of our favorite moments from this year's conference. Um, Daryl and Mike, what were some of your favorite moments from this year's conference and what did you take away? Yeah, sure. So I learned a great deal this year, and that's always a, a good marker of a great conference to me is, did I learn anything new? And so this year's conference taught me a great deal, too much to include in a short podcast format. But right. in addition to the outstanding keynotes that our organizers were able to secure, I think two podcast sessions that I moderated really stuck out. So selfishly, I'll, I'll highlight those. Mm-hmm. And one was um, about vaccinations, which is really timely and important. And um, it was led by Devin Grayson. And this was really fascinating. And I jotted down a lot of notes about how to effectively communicate about the pandemic and hopefully knock on wood an eventual effective vaccine. The other interesting kernel I came away with was from the Education and Health podcast I recorded. And you know, education and health is really well plowed territory, but there was some some really nuanced questions in this panel. And um, one of the things that I learned from Anna Zayakova, who's one of our IPH board members, is that she found that people in this broad category of some college mm. didn't have significantly better health than people who were just had high school diploma. So that was really interesting to me because that kind of goes against what we typically think about in terms of education being great for, for all things. I know Jennifer Karis Montez is a co-author on, on some work with, with her. So it'd be interesting to hear her perspective there. But those are some of the, the things that, that I came away with. What about you, Mike? Yeah. Um, so yeah, first let me say that, yes, I also enjoyed those two podcast sessions and Jerry did a fantastic job moderating. So let's pump you up a little bit. Thank you for that endorsement. <laughs> yeah. But also let me say too that, uh, you know, I got to take in so much at this year's meeting. Um, everything being online and pre-recorded was like a little secret benefit of this and made that possible. Uh, as much as I missed like getting to see people face to face and kind of go kind of check out a new city and stuff myself. Uh, it was nice to be able to avoid this feeling of conference FOMO or kind of missing out on all these cool sessions um, uh, because you're only able to be in one place at one at time. And I think we'll loop back around to kind of things like this later, um, but I'm curious to hear from uh, Jennifer and Shannon if, um, uh, if there's any of these kind of unintended advantages of going fully online with the conference uh, may or may not be kind of incorporated into later conferences, assuming that things ever go back to normal, wherever allowed to all get together again. Don't say that. Okay. 
say, well, it's just a matter of time, right? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, but okay, uh, depressing notes aside, um, some highlights, right? So I'm a sucker for poster presentations. Mm. You know, they're built on such a weird premise. We tell folks, hey, carry this really large sheet of paper hundreds of miles across the country to stand in a room with a hundred other folks and we'll give you a little bit of time to share an idea and people may or may not come to listen to you talk about that idea right um, but you know if somebody's going through all that effort and still says yes I'm here for this then they really have to kind of believe in it kind of like a project and the idea um, that they're trying to communicate and so what you get in these types of sessions and this year was no exception was all sorts of really kind of novel, off-center, careful, and amazing gems uh, kind of on display. Um, and quite a bit of that coming from graduate students. Um, so yeah, I wanna kind of focus in on some of the cool things that I saw like in these sessions here, and um, I'm gonna butcher everyone's name. So just either at me on Twitter or <laughs> whatever you have to do, get me, get me later, but I apologize. Uh, so first off, uh, I saw Tyler uh, Jimenez and his work, uh, colleagues work on police militarization that was really excellent. Uh, so this group created a novel data source by scraping down government records on the distribution of military equipment, like heavy duty military equipment, like tanks and assault rifles to police departments mm -hmm. um, and showed, um, as you might predict, uh, given the times that we're living in or given the history of this country, um, that police agencies in areas with higher express like levels of racial animosity towards POC folks right. were much, much more likely to kind of like uh, request and receive uh, these really kind of overly kind of violent heavy duty equipment. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting kind of careful work that adds to this current moment of how, you know, we're trying to articulate how law enforcement is really intimately tied to structural racism. So I think that was like a nice little piece um, or big piece in uh, that conversation. Yeah. Um, some other things I saw, so, okay, as someone who's getting, dipping their feet into the world of cognitive health and consequently as someone who wakes up really angry and confused about measures mm -hmm. of cognitive health daily now, uh, I really enjoyed seeing the work um, from Nicole Schmidt, who I believe is at Minnesota and colleagues, um, that they were that they're putting into developing kind of an easy to use, uh, easy to apply, valid and uh, kind of informative web-based screener for cognitive impairment. Uh, it's always really cool to see uh, folks talking about measurement, especially in a field that uh, directly benefits me. So I'm really stoked to see like the screener being developed a bit more and put into good use. Uh, and then at last, because um, I've been talking too long as a general <laughs> point, uh, just seeing the diversity ideas rep represented across the posters at our conference is always really great, right? We had everything's uh, from folks like Margaret Tate digging into commercials, like straight up advertisements, um, and how they factor into broader public opinions about health insurance, uh, to folks trying to figure out kind of different complicated ways to capture measure kind of structural inequality, uh, like some of the stuff we saw from uh, Shani's Battle from Michigan or Carrie Metzner from, I think also Minnesota. So anyway, there was just a ton of cool, really weird, and I mean that in a good way, innovative ideas on display here. And I'm always just really impressed by how kind of 
brilliant all the different scholars that um, we bring together in the space are. Uh, Arisha, what about you? Um, did, what, did you see anything that really hit home? Yeah, there was uh, a lot of things that were really great about this year's conference. And I had mixed feelings about it being all virtual as I'm sure everybody did. But what I really liked, like to be honest, is I'm an introverted extrovert. So I really liked watching and viewing all of the virtual posters because you didn't have to do that awkward, like, let me walk up to your poster but not talk to you thing. And so I was able to look at the posters I was really interested in and then, you know, chat up people later or reach out to them later. And that was like a really interesting way to engage with the posters this year, as I'm sure we'll talk about. And I was always, I'm always really invigorated by the keynote speakers and the plenary sessions at these conferences because they really give us the big picture of really pressing issues in population health. And this year was really no different. So I was really excited when the conference agenda came out and just seeing the titles of all the plenary sessions, like I knew that they were just so great from the jump. And I knew that some really great truth bombs were gonna be dropped by these keynote speakers. And I, and I think that really happened. So I was really struck by how all the speakers really laid out like a long history and trend of economic policies that created the conditions by which capitalism in today in the United States harms uh, population health. Um, and so, you know, I was sitting there thinking about how we could go back and study some of these policies and think about them, but also look ahead and keep an eye out for policies that might create similar effects as, you know, capitalism, um, you know, 2020 and beyond rolls out. Um, so for example, I was really thinking about in my home state of California, there's a lot of debate around the benefits and protections for gig workers and private contractors now. And right now people are deciding and going to the polls, um, you know, deciding propositions to, the, to this effect. And just that really struck how, you know, thinking about the policies that happened in the seventies shaped conditions now. And then today we're making those same decisions and how we kind of have to be part of these conversations as population health researchers. So. It was really fantastic to kind of um, have those conversations and hear from great folks doing that work. Um, so we, I think, enjoyed the conference a lot, but to help us reflect a lot more, we have the honor of chatting with Jennifer Karas Montez and Shannon Monnet, who co-chaired this year's IAPHS conference um, and tell us a lot about the madness that probably went on behind the scenes as you all shifted the conference virtually. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, uh, Jennifer Karis Montez is a professor of sociology and faculty affiliate of the Aging Studies Institute and the Center for Policy Research at Syracuse University. Uh, her research examines the large and growing inequalities in adult mortality across educational levels and geographic areas within the US. And she's really interested in understanding uh, why, the, why the growing inequalities have been most, most troublesome among women. And in another line of her work, she examines whether and why early life experiences such as poverty have enduring consequences for health during later life. And then we're also joined by Shannon Monnet, who is an associate professor of sociology and senior research associate in the Center for Policy Research. Uh, Shannon's research broadly falls at the intersection of place, public policy and health and a common theme binding much of her work is a concern for rural people and places. And her most recent research has focused on fatal drug overdose and other diseases and deaths of despair, particularly trying to understand why rates of substance abuse and mortality are higher in some places than others. So thank you both for joining us today and uh, uh, we welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much for, for having us. It's great to be here. Absolutely. 
I can't wait to talk about uh, <laughs> the behind the scenes um, you know, rollout of the conference and, um, you know, talk more about what we thought were some of the really exciting takeaways from the conference and, and lessons learned and, you know, maybe future directions for, um, you know, conferences down the road. For sure. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us and thanks for all your hard work and effort in, in organizing a great virtual meeting this year. And to start us off, we were wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about the theme of this year's conference and how'd you all come up with the, the theme for, for the, for the uh, conference this year? Sure, this is Shannon, uh, I can go first. Um, well, first of all, it was just so much fun working with Jennifer on this conference program. Um, Jennifer actually approached me with the seeds of the conference theme in mind. She really wanted to bring in McKinley's concept of manufacturers of illness. Hmm. I have to say no to Jennifer. Just kidding. <laughs> sort of. No, I love the idea right away. Um, together, we, we co-direct the Policy Place and Population Health Lab um, at Syracuse University, and our, our research collectively explores the roles of policies and institutions on health outcomes across different groups and different geographies. So it was exciting to build a theme that would emphasize the drivers of population health that we collectively view as being so important. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the field of population health has done a really great job of bringing in social determinants of health to the, the forefront of academic and public attention over the last couple of decades, but we hope that the field will start to focus more on policy, institutional, and corporate determinants of health, mm -hmm. and this conference was a step in that direction. Uh, as, as Shannon said, we, we really wanted to um, inject a focus on these higher level um, structural determinants of health. Um, you know, I, I think in, in particular the role of corporations and, and commercial determinants um, we thought was was really important to bring to the, the forefront and get IEPHS members excited about um, and, and maybe even angry about, you know, the role mm -hmm. of corporations. Um, I, I mean, I think the role of corporations on population health is, is often underappreciated. Corporations shape nearly every aspect of our lives, you know, right. we breathe, the food we eat, um, they shape, they have a really strong influence on shaping our economic and social policies through um, powerful lobbies and political donations. Um, they say that the public hears about and understands science, right. you know, and I can go on. I mean, the, the influence of corporations on our health is not limited to the products that those corporations produce. They have this, you know, whole range of indirect ways in which they shape our, our health. And so we wanted to, um, in the theme this year, reflect this increasingly profound role of corporations on public health. And as Shannon said, you know, going back to McKinley, you know, who wrote about this very issue decades ago, um, we thought it was time to, you know, bring him into, you know, 2020 and mm. where we want to take this work going forward. Thanks. Sure. And that's what's super kind of cool about seeing this as a theme and um, kind of makes this moment special, right? Like I've only been doing academia for so long, but I imagine if you go back like 20, 30 years and say, yeah, we're going to have a conference where the central kind of conversation is going to be around how like our corporations and our economic systems cause harm to like individual health, like they, they would never fly, right? Right. They would 
be off into some room far off on the side where you could just kind of wave your fist at the other people that are kind of like down with that idea. But seeing that as like the theme of like a major, I'll call ourselves a major conference, um, <laughs> was really refreshing. I really super appreciated that. Um, okay, so um, if we're on the off the theme or building off the theme, uh, let's talk a little bit more about like some of the more exciting parts of the conference for you, either what you saw like in the actual conference or some of the more exciting things that came up while planning. I was really excited about the plenaries. Like, oh my gosh, we yeah. have a great <laughs> slate of speakers um, who covered the main areas of the conference theme so well. And we were shocked and thrilled that when we reached out to these really important people who have so much to do with their time that they all said yes we'll we'll come to your conference and even after the the setting the venue changed to online they they still agreed to join us so that was super exciting these people are all really highly regarded experts and, and we were thrilled that they agreed to present i also really like aresha liked the layout of the poster presentations it, it was a nice opportunity to spend time on a poster without feeling like you were in someone else's way who wanted yeah. to yeah. to see the poster or even feeling like you needed to ask a question like walk up to a poster I feel like oh I'm here you know the person's staring at me <laughs> um so it really it helped me take in the content of the posters I think more than I normally would in the traditional setting um I really loved the hot hot topic session from the dear pandemic group uh, if you guys haven't had a chance to see it, it was so good. That that group is doing really important and impressive community outreach and has garnered a, a large and well-respected public and, and media following. I was fascinated to hear about their process for collectively collating the information that they share and for managing their various social media posts, the way that they work as a, a pretty large team and the, the way that they navigate the challenges and the stresses of that work. So those are the things that I really enjoyed. So I thought it was also, I mean, I, I agree with Shannon on, on all of those points, um, but I, I also thought it was really exciting this year to see an even wider range of, of disciplinary perspectives represented at the conference, you know, even more so than normal. And, you know, I think, Part of the reason why we saw that this year is, is that the theme of the conference, you know, forced us to do that. It forced us to, you know, expand beyond, um, you know, the, the disciplines that we're used to hearing from and, and are comfortable merging. So, you know, if we think about, you know, plenary and, and hot topic speakers, you know, they had backgrounds in commercial determinants of health and in anthropology and business. Um, we had policy advocates and active, mm -hmm. you know, the former head of OSHA, um, the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. So, so I thought it was like so cool to see, you know, really unusual perspectives represented and to see how they all approach population health, you know, maybe using, you know, slightly different frameworks or um, using different methods, different data. Um, but I, I thought it was great to, you know, that we could all hear from these folks and build bridges, you know, to those other and bridges with non-academic partners. And, and I was seeing a lot of that going on in the, in the chat box where, you know, it might be, you know, one panelist emailing, you know, trying to chat with another or, you know, people saying, hey, you know, come out to my university and, and give a talk or, hey, do you want to collaborate on this and that? So I thought that was um, really exciting. So we know that, you know, the, the conference will 
will live on in these new um, collaborations. Yeah, for sure. When we started talking about the podcast, one of the things that we all like highlighted was how truly interdisciplinary, right? IAPHS is, and you kind of get people that you have a meeting of the minds in really unique ways. Um, and so I think that was certainly something that we saw in this year's podcast. I mean, I'm sorry, in this year's conference. Um, like geography, like last year and through the podcast recordings, I met geography folks and I'd never interacted with people in geography <laughs> and realized like we have so much in common in the ways that we think about the world. And so that's that's been really fun and cool. Um, uh, so we talked a little bit about this, but I'm wondering if you all can share, you know, how it was that you all pivoted to the virtual conference, uh, just like how that, like, you know, did you freak out in the first week or did you pivot quite quickly? You know, how that all came to be and now what you see as some of the advantages of being, being virtual versus in-person um, now that it's all said and done. I think we probably freaked out initially <laughs> in the early period. Like as far as I, I was thinking, like I kept hoping, like, oh, we're gonna make it, we're gonna get to be in Maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, by then, right? And like the longer this went on, I thought, oh no, like we're just gonna, we're gonna have to be virtual. Mm -hmm. But it turned out to be really great. And and that's partly because of Sue Bevan's role in, in being so organized um, for, for this conference. Um she came to us with a plan. We had regular meetings. She sent us material. And so I, I don't think we could have pulled it off without Sue coordinating all of that. She did such a great job. Um, but it turned out to be advantageous in a lot of ways. So of course you miss out on seeing your friends, but a lot of people who attended, uh, a lot of people attended who otherwise might not have been able to attend. Right. So I, you know, graduate students come to mind. It can be really difficult for graduate students to attend interdisciplinary meetings like this in particular because they have such limited travel funds and usually they use those funds for discipline specific meetings and, and not IAPHS. But I think this year we had a lot of participation from graduate students. I know a lot of students from SU attended who otherwise probably wouldn't have gone. And I think that that was the case with a lot of different universities. And as a result, these might be students who become permanent members of IAPHS. Um, contribute in different ways, serve on committees, and might attend future meetings now that they feel like it's more of an academic home for them. Yeah, great. Yeah, a lot of credit goes to Sue for making that transition from in-person to virtual. And I mean, she was, you know, working with different vendors and, you know, looking at different conference platforms. And I, I think the one that she ended up choosing was, was just brilliant, you know, to be, log in and you can see, you know, fake people moving around this virtual you know, lobby. That was, that was, that was pretty cute. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, there, there was, there was this period of panic and, you know, kind of sadness because, you know, we, we like getting together and, you know, right. we didn't know at the time, is the conference going to translate as well, you know, in a virtual platform and we put so much into it. How's this going to um, turn out? But so she's she's a magician and it, um, it worked out really, really well. And I, you know, and I think what helps too is that we gave all of the presenters, you know, an option. You know, we didn't want to, to force, you know, one, um, you know, one way of delivering the conference to everybody. And we, you know, so Sue came up with these options. Do you want to do a podcast? Do you want to do a standard, um, you know, live presentation or recorded? And so, you know, that way we retained all of the, um, participation from everybody and people got to deliver 
um, in the format that they wanted. And I, I think that there's, I think this might have like long-term implications. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, I think the podcast format was brilliant and it's such a good teaching tool that we can all use. Mm-hmm. I think, I think some good things came out of this um, experiment with, with the virtual platform. Yeah, I think you guys pivoted great. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah and I think that we'll see more of these hybrid kinds of, of conferences in the future where maybe there's an in-person component, but people who can't make it for whatever reason, childcare, costs, other obligations, we can find a way to have people participate virtually like, like we haven't before. So I think that this could actually open up conferences like this to a, a lot wider range of scholars. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, another thing that uh, another kind of collateral benefit of this move um, this year was that um, because it was such a, you know, a low fee to, you know, participate in the conference, I think that, um, you know, we might have, you know, recruited a bunch of new members, you know, to to check out IAPHS and realize that, you know, it's it's an organization that um, they could benefit from and could benefit from from their membership as well. Well, those are really great points about some of the advantages and you know some of the missing pieces. So I think Jennifer mentioned just the the opportunity, missed opportunity to get together and see your your friends and colleagues from all over the country. And it's it's really a you know a, it is a missing piece that human element. But on the flip side, there as Shannon mentioned, it does create access to people who, especially graduate students who might be choosing between their their home discipline conference like ASA or APHA and trying to decide whether or not to go to IAPHS. So, and I think like Jennifer mentioned, it could be a way to create a teaching tool too. So I think the, as I mentioned before, just sitting in on the podcast that I moderated, I learned a great deal. And so I think this is something that hopefully we can we can capture these ideas and these new findings and you know kind of get that out to our classes and to our future professionals and, and kind of invigorate the field in a lot of ways. Um, that being said, just thinking about the core content and key takeaways of the meeting, and you all got the the chance to to see a lot um, and communicate a lot with the different organizers and the presenters. And what's something that you would say that was new um, that you learned during the meeting, especially the, the wealth of all these different disciplines, especially the, the political pieces, the business pieces and angles, anything new that you learned during the meeting? Yeah, well, so for me, the, the hot topic session on state preemption was fascinating. That was a, a session that Jennifer actually organized sort of last minute. It was one that popped up like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had this preemption session? Uh, And preemption, for those of you who aren't familiar, is when higher levels of government restrict lower levels of government from enacting policies that are different from those at the higher level. Um, And it was actually the last session of the conference, the last day, the last time slot. Um, And it was about state policies that preempt cities and counties from enacting laws that would protect population health, like raising the minimum wage or enacting environmental uh, restrictions or enacting COVID policies, even Mm -hmm. like wearing Mm -hmm. business closures. And I've known for a while that preemption was happening, but I was really unaware of the breadth 
of the policy areas where it was happening. And, and then beyond that, I was unaware of these really important grassroots efforts that have been going on to push it back against preemption. So hearing from the, the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, for example, about the efforts that are going on there to push back was, was really fascinating. And I was actually riding in, um, in a car with my partner while this, um, this session was going on. And so I had it on, like it was on speaker because I, you know, I was there asking questions, wanted to listen to it. So he was listening to it too. And he was sucked in. He's like, oh my God, so fascinating. I can't believe this is happening. Like, what is this? And so somebody who isn't even involved in academia was like, this is such an interesting session. So I'm so thankful that we were able to get those speakers and really credit Jennifer with pulling that together. Yeah, I really enjoyed that session too. And um, that a group ended up being such a dynamic group. Like they just kind of took their conversation and it was like, I just became invisible after a while. I'm like, well, I guess my work here is done because mm -hmm. feeding off of each other and coming up with these um, really inter interesting stories about how they're combating preemption. So I, I thought it was really, really good too. Um, so, I mean, I, I learned... Um, so much from every presentation, as I always do with IAPHS, and you know, you kind of walk away with your head spinning. But but after after three days, so um, but rather than focus on you know a, a single presentation, I'll give one overall takeaway that I'm still kind of mulling over. I mean, I, the conference made me realize that that I think we we need to deliberately create a space to do the kind of research discussed in the plenaries, mm. and in particular research on the commercial determinants of health, what I learned was that that research, it poses a lot, many more challenges than research on other determinants of health, you know, social determinants, political determinants, um, and, and for, for a variety of reasons in which the, the, the speakers commented on. Um, for example, you know, we generally don't take courses in commercial determinants of health. Um, the data to, to do this kind of work is really challenging to conduct. I mean, every single plenary speaker, you know, their data did not come off of, you know, some publicly available database that they download, you know, put in data. You know, they, their, their research comes from years and years of, um, you know, on the ground research, you know, researching um, public records, um, mm -hmm qualitative work. I mean, this works really hard to do in a commercial determinants of health. Um, we also learned that NIH funding is, you know, NIH doesn't apparently get very excited about work right. either. So funding is limited. So, you know, all these reasons um, that, you know, there seems to be quite a few obstacles in our way to do this kind of work. So I love thinking, you know, how can IEPHS, you know, facilitate this work going forward? And, and I think it's really important. I, I do think that this is, one of the next frontiers of public, public health research. So I think it's imperative that um, IEPHS, you know, creates a space for this going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Those are those are some really good points. And I think the closest that we usually get to, at least in public health, is, is thinking about marketing strategies and how we can borrow yeah. tools and tips from like, you know, commercial marketing to improve our communication messaging. But Oh That's the, that is an interesting um, new frontier, Jennifer, that you, you laid out thinking about the commercialization mm -hmm. and, and commercial determinants of health. And, and, and I think that raises a good point, like who funds that work to who we know it's important and we know it's a, a key determinant, but who's going to be 
at the front um, sort of funding this work and pushing the envelope there. And the data are, are another bear of a problem to, to deal with too. Um, Shannon, if, if, I can, if I can pick on you for a moment and ask you if there's any, I know the, again, the, the theme was policies, places and profits, manufacturers of illness and health and any key takeaways that you would say that you offer up for like, you know, in terms of policy practice or research implications? Oh boy. Um, so there, there are a lot, I think. So we, um, one of the really interesting things about the sessions of this conference was that there were, there was research on multiple different units, spatial units of analysis. So there was research on neighborhood effects, county level effects, state level effects, between country, between region sort of um, disparities in health. I think all of those various units of analysis are really important but finding the right data at each unit of analysis for me has been what's really challenging and I think um, came out as a, a theme, a challenge theme during the presentations in this conference. Um, there, just, there just simply aren't enough public data sources that have geographic units of analysis embedded within them so that do true place level analysis. So, you know, I'm just thinking about that part of the conference theme that has to do with places. And it's frustrating, right? Because either you have to request access to the restricted data and go through this lengthy proposal process to, to get those data, or you have to like collect your own data, which can be really time consuming um, and, and expensive. And so I wish that, you know, there, there was a way to signal to funders like NIH, for example, or RWJF that Having, um, having some of these big data sets fund do a better job of integrating geographic units of analysis and place level measures, that would be really beneficial to advancing research on the place level effects of population health. Great. Yeah. That's a great, great kernel to think about is, yeah. you know, data It's always, that's what we always think about in population health, like where are the data and how do you get them? Well, Ain't even the like, oh, I'm sorry, Daryl. No, like, not at all. Uh, thinking about like corporations, right? Like they have so much data, like they have so much information on us. And I remember seeing this like call a few uh, few years ago about how can we part, like do these private public research partnerships to get access to their data for our work. Thinking about like, who's going to give us that data if we're critiquing kind of some of their approaches, right. but, but they have all, like, they have a lot of information that I, that we sh as researchers should be like, we would love to leverage, but we don't always have access to. So like that other piece of the equation as well. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that you guys, I, I just, um, two weeks ago, I got an email from a, a vice reporter saying, Hey, you know, Amazon is tracking opioid use across the country. Mm. Like, mm. Like what? Uh -huh. <laughs> like this is news to me. Amazon is tracking opioid use. Like what? I study opioid use. <laughs> yeah. You can get place level data on opioid use. Pinpoint <laughs> county level, and, and they know where all of this is happening. And it's just yeah. um, it's it's repeatedly incredibly frustrating to me that we have to jump through these hoops, get FBI security clearance, like <laughs> for heck's sake, yeah. when you when you want to use an RDC. And meanwhile, right. Amazon just has all of this information about us. Facebook has all this information about us right. and they're on it and using it for marketing. Yeah. And we would 
actually be using it for good. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Marketing for good. Yeah. I mean, you talk about pinpoint accuracy data and even um, like scanner data. So a lot of business schools use data from consumers directly from what they're purchasing. So right. at the point of purchase, being able to predict what people will buy and the demographics of those folks and where they're at. Yeah, maybe we need some more interdisciplinary partnerships. With yeah. Amazon? Cor- with Amazon. <laughs> with Amazon, yeah. yeah well. <laughs> Wait, Shannon, this may be like a conversation for offline, but real quick, did they say how Amazon was tracking <laughs> opioid use? That's really creepy. No, just that they have information about it. I'm, I'm guessing that they, they compile like multiple different sources of data. So they probably have data on hospitalizations or rep. Uh-huh. Um, they probably got overdose. I'm not sure. It's fascinating. It's nothing you can get our hands on. But, but, not, but, not but even they ask me to speculate, like, why? Why would Amazon be doing this? Yeah. <laughs> what is the profit? What could they make money off of? Yeah. Are they tr- right, exactly. And yeah. so some other much more brilliant people than, than me said, well, it, it might be because they're trying to predict theft in certain neighborhoods. Boy. Oh, no. That people who use drugs uh, might be able to like steal packages to sell them buy drugs. Um, so, you know, other folks came, came up with that. And another one was that <laughs> Amazon might be trying to identify where to put their distribution centers. Uh, so um, they need a large share of people who can pass a drug test. And so they're not going to place distribution centers in a place where a lot of people are wow. opioids because people won't pass the drug test. Well, that so seems you have it. really <laughs> unfortunate if, if you, if people are, now I'm really getting up here, but, but if, you know, if places in the country where opioid use is higher, I mean, you would think those are the same places, and Shannon, this goes to your work, where, you know, economic conditions are, are really, um, really awful, right? And so these are the precise places that would need, right? Amazon warehouses and all this, you know, they have the job so that, you know, people may not um, use drugs. So this is exactly, yeah, it's troubling. It's yeah. sad. So it's troubling. Double down on the harm for kind of low income populations. That's what exactly. it's all about. Oh boy. Uh, okay. Well, um, I guess let's pivot from that. To, uh, actually, let's take yeah, a broader step out for a second and kind of look at this um, from a broader perspective. So that the conference bumped up against a presidential election is kind of compelling in ways that I'm still trying to maybe may never be able to kind of fully articulate. Um, so like a number of actions by our current administration, like mucking up the CDC's handle on COVID data, uh, kind of direct attacks on the, the, uh, the validity of kind of disparities or structural racism research. And even the devil kind of may care attitudes towards completing an at all useful census uh, have even more so than usual uh, made this kind of upcoming election cycle pivotal for the type of work that a lot of our members do. Um, And so I know that conferences are planned out way, 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 way far in advance um, before some of these like kind of more specific events took place. Um, But given this general backdrop that we've been operating in, did any of this kind of at all change uh, kind of what you wanted to do for the conference, highlight for the conference, or kind of, um, you know, use our kind of annual meeting as like an opportunity to kind of kind of promote and protect health science? 
Yeah. yeah, it seems like this administration just affects our everyday lives, like everything, right? Like every day I wake up and I'm like, what did he do today? What did he tweet today? And so of course it affected the conference. It affects my class. Like each week I'm like, oh man, like how, how am I going to have to modify what I talk about in my class to accommodate new ridiculous thing that, that's happening now and that can affect research and population health and um, other forms of well-being. So yeah, these issues really had a major impact on the conference sessions. We ended up adding, for example, several hot topic sessions directly as a result of what's been happening at the federal level and with COVID. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier the Dear Pandemic group, that was a hot topic session. We added sessions related to racialized police violence and other forms of structural racism. And really it was, it, it was the benefit of that flexible virtual format that enabled us to make those additions because if it had been the traditional format, like the rooms would have already been scheduled and booked. Yeah. We, we would, would have either had to bump something else or like, I don't know, find a bunch more money to rent a bunch more rooms to accommodate these sessions. But this, the virtual format meant that we could not only add sessions, but also hold those sessions live which I think was a real nice benefit because people could type in the chat box. Um, people could kind of ask questions live. So, so that was really exciting. But yeah, to sum up the answer to your question, all of these things that have been happening at the national level had a major influence <clears throat> at the later stages of the conference planning on the sessions that we decided to do. Yeah, I mean, we, we even talked about this a little, you know, quite a bit at the beginning as well. Um, Shannon and I both like to be a little provocative in our research and the way that we, we talk about research and population health. And um, when we were discussing the, the theme of the conference um, early on, I know that you know some folks pushed back on us a little bit and said, are you sure mm. you wanna be that provocative? You know, do you, are you, do you wanna alienate the business community? You know, do you really wanna bring in politics? And, we, yeah. <laughs> yes, in fact, we do because, yeah. you know, I just think like it's past time to, you know, dance around these issues. You know, this is what, these are the issues that are really driving population health problems. And, you know, we can't be timid about it anymore. Um, you know, life expectancies been claiming, you know, we're, we're in trouble and yeah. can't be um, hesitant about, you know, pointing out the, the culprits. I mean, it, it, as Arisha said earlier, you know, we, we wanted some truth bombs in this conference and, and I think we got some. Um, and, and I did notice in several sessions, you know, there was more talk of policies and, and politics and, you know, parties um, than there has been in, in the past. I'm not entirely sure why that is. I don't know if it was the topics of the conference or people were, you know, were so close to the election. I don't know. Um, but, you know, and, but I think it was all done in a really, really fair and very professional and scientific way. And, and one example that comes to mind is the, um, the, the hot topic session from the, the pandemic, or the, what is it? The, the nerdy dear, dear pandemic. Yeah. The nerdy guys. Yeah, dear pandemic. So, you know, they, they talked a lot about, you know, how, you know, they, they try to be very non-political in their posts, you know, their, their Twitter feeds and, you know, and their, their um, all of their outreach, but they're also very deliberate about trying to 
like bring in um, people who, you know, don't see eye to eye, people who think, you know, the pandemic is not real or, you know, kind of skeptics. And so, you know, I thought it was just a very smart thing to do from their, their perspective is to, you know, like very kindly and very actively reach out to people who have a very different take on things to try to, you know, bring them in to, you know, see the value of, of population health science and, and what it says about um, the pandemic. So I think that there are lessons to be learned there. I think with, um, what they're doing as a model for, for how we can reach um, a much wider audience in our work and, and um, you know, the messages that our work sends about how to improve health. Yeah, thank you for pushing back and, and you know, being brave enough to be a little audacious because I definitely think that we need that. And, you know, I think us as population health folks, you know, we can use our science, you know, so like there's the politics of everything, right? And people just like sitting on their soapbox, but like our science and our research are able to show, you know, like these are the policies that we need to create like a better world, right? And like having people engage in these conversations and contending with the complicatedness of how then we confront politics and policies and structures, right? As opposed to just science for science's sake, you know, is I think an important conversation that we um, are having to confront, right? As a, as, as um, you know, as a membership um, and, and this conference really I think helped us do that this year. So I think we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up um, and I wanna be respectful of your time, but we are so grateful to both of you for your leadership, your effort and commitment to making this year's meeting a success despite all of the challenges. And I think from this conversation, I think we took a lot of great things away um, from this virtual format and we were able to, to make it a success um, even with some of the, uh, you know, the hiccups along the way and having to adapt everything. So you all did an amazing job. I know, uh, you know, people still talk about it and say it was, it was a great experience for them, but thank you for joining us today and making the time um, and, and sharing a little bit more insight on how it all happened. And we hope to see you next year, hopefully in person at the 2021 conference in Baltimore. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we hope you stay safe and well. And for all of our listeners, we have a series of podcasts uh, coming up from the conference where we are, uh, we co-host with session moderators and conference panelists uh, where they share more of their work. So please stay tuned um, and join us for those podcast sessions soon to come. Thank you both Shannon and Jennifer for being here today. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Thank you, Arash and Daryl and, and Michael for doing these podcasts. They're truly wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all. Bye. See you next time. Thank you, folks. Bye.